This podcast contains adult language and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. So today I am going to do the Redhead Murders, which was a little bit of a difficult task to research because there was not a lot of sources or reporting on these cases. So I'm just going to dive right into this. The fact that we haven't heard about this shocks me. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But when I started researching, I understand why. It was so underreported because this was the 70s through the 90s, and a lot of these women were runaways or they were prostitutes. And we all know, all of us that have listened to True Crime, we know that if you were a prostitute, and still today, the stigma around prostitutes that get murdered or go missing is crazy to me because right, there is definitely a stigma with sex work. Oh, yes. yeah. I mean, they're just doing a job. Absolutely. They're they're trying to get money for themselves and make a living. They're, you know, they're trying to just make money any way that they can. And there's still people. And the fact that this is so underreported. And like I said, still today, these cases are so underreported. I mean, I I just, that angers me in some, like, I've listened to or, or watched so many documentaries where a lot of victims don't get the justice they deserve or the or their case doesn't get the attention it deserves right. just because of their line of work and just because you're in sex work doesn't, doesn't make, make you, you doesn't doesn't mean you're not someone's daughter you're someone's mother right you know someone's you're somebody's someone and a lot of these women in this case were mothers yeah one of them was actually identified which I'll get into through her daughter years later looking still looking for her mother Ugh. after 30 years yeah and they finally get this jane doe identified because her daughter was looking for her never stopped looking for her mama no and she's yeah. still because most of these cases are still unsolved she's mm-hmm. still actively trying to get justice for her mother these murders went on through the 70s to the early 90s Detectives do believe that it was a serial killer. They still don't know to this day if it was a single man that did this. They do suspect that it was a man because on one of the victims there is semen found. Mm -hmm. So detectives do suspect that it was either a single male or they also, there's a theory that they believe it could have been a group of men that were doing these murders. The murderer was also dubbed as the Bible Belt Strangler because a lot of these murders did happen in the Southeast. We are in the Bible Belt down here. So where these, since these murders occurred here in the Bible Belt, he was also called the Bible Belt Strangler, which is fitting. Yeah. 
So the murders happened across several states. They were in Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, West Virginia, Kentucky, and even up in Pennsylvania. So mostly through the Appalachia. Yes. Okay. And because of the vast area that these women were found, they do also believe that this man or these this group of men were truck drivers. That was going to be the next thing out of my mouth. Yes. Was, I bet it's a trucker. Absolutely. Yeah, that was going to, because of the vastness of how many states, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I bet it's a trucker. Yeah, the but area that's the first covered, thing that came to my mind. I mean, you go from all of these states right here in the south, right, you know, right next to one another, mm-hmm. all the way up to Pennsylvania. Yeah. And the fact that these women were discarded alongside of interstates, usually major interstates, mm-hmm. also further proves the point that this was probably a truck driver. Mm-hmm. And we find out that the suspects that we do have were truck drivers. So the murders happened predominantly in the 80s. The killer seemed to have a victimology of redheaded women. Now, not all of the women were pure gingers, but a lot of them had red-toned hair. Me right now, I have red-toned hair. Okay. You have a son that is the definition of a ginger. (laughs) But not all of these women had pure ginger hair, but because they all, almost all, had some sort of red-colored hair, i.e. the name of the murders. Okay, so, like, they could have auburn hair, strawberry blonde hair. Yes, yes, there are, you know, there's a couple that have auburn, there is one that has strawberry blonde. Okay. And the victimology also, like I said earlier, was hitchhikers, runaway women, homeless women. Sex workers. And prostitutes, Yeah. Okay. So, like I said, most of the victims' bodies were discarded along the highways. The way that victims were found varied, but most of the victims had at least one thing in common from one to the next. There were some that were found nude. There were some that were not. Um, Some were bound with duct tape or with rope. One was found not only duct tape, but also wrapped in a blanket. Some were strangled, some were suffocated, but the way that the ropes were tied and the way that the way that they were discarded, the hair color is what all, even though there are these small discrepancies between each victim, mm-hmm. the similarities mostly outweigh. Right. So that's why they the were all linked together. Yeah. There are some of the women that I'm going to discuss today that have not been directly linked to these murders, but highly suspected that they were a victim. I mean, I could see investigators thinking it could be multiple killers if there are that many differences in how they were found. Just because serial killers typically go with one MO, you know. So I could see how they, you know, not even knowing a lot about this case yet, I could see where they, their train of thought went there. Oh, yeah. Detectives are still unsure to this day exactly how many victims there were. As of today, the given number is somewhere between 5 to 14 women. Wow. Yes. So on September the 16th, 1984, the body of a female was found discarded along Interstate 40 in Crittenden County, Arkansas. The body was found by a man that was hitchhiking up the interstate. He found his way to a telephone and he called the police. When the police arrived, they found the partially nude body of a deceased female. 
The unidentified woman had one article of clothing on. The only thing that she had on was a knit top that they do believe was worn during her murder. The body had been abandoned on the side of the interstate for four days before she was discovered. So people are just driving along this major interstate, not noticing that there is a dead woman on the side of the road. That's like, this is why I look, they'll find bodies like that just on sides yeah. of roads. When I'm know? driving and I see a giant trash bag. Oh yeah, me too. Every time. I think to myself, that could be a dead body. Yeah, every time. And is that healthy? I don't know. No, probably not. But it is what it is. No. So. So, an autopsy was performed on the body and concluded that her cause of death was strangulation. She was believed to have been murdered within the last 24 hours of her last sighting. She was eventually identified. It took them a year to identify her. So, in 1985, thanks to fingerprints, we found out that this Jane Doe was Lisa Ann Nichols, also known as Lisa Ann Jarvis. And she went by the street name of Baby Doll. She was born on June the 27th, 1958. So she was only 26 years old when she was murdered. Oh, Yeah. So her life was just beginning. Yeah. Crittenden County Officer Charles Walker was the first officer to link Nichols to the Redhead murders. Mm-hmm. They had already found a sus- what they suspected to be one of the victims, but she's still never been directly linked. And I will get into some of the suspected victims. There are a bunch, so I'm not going to dive into all of them because some of them, when I was doing research, really didn't have that much in common. And the only thing was they were redheads and they were found dead. So not a lot of them in the suspected murders had direct links. They weren't strangled. They weren't discarded along the interstate. So some of them I didn't include just because there were so many. So Lisa Nichols was last spotted at a truck stop in West Memphis, Arkansas. She was seen climbing into a semi-truck. It was believed that she was hitchhiking. We don't really know exactly where she was trying to get a ride to, but... That was her last sighting. Do we know who said that? Like, no. It was it was never the it was never reported what the name of the person was that last saw her in okay. any of the sources that I looked at. Okay. After she was identified, the detectives did find that she had two living brothers. They were contacted. Unfortunately, neither of the brothers showed up to clean her body. So <laughs> she was laid to rest in Clover Cemetery in Roan County, West Virginia, which is really sad that They were found, they were contacted, and neither of them cared to show up to claim her body. On January the 1st in 1985, the body of a Jane Doe was discovered on the side of I-75 in Campbell County, Tennessee. The body was found, found in duct tape, wrapped in a blanket, and was just chucked down a bank off the side of the interstate. Um, It was not reported who discovered this body, but when the body was found, she was fully clothed. She had on blue jeans, a tan shirt. Once the police brought her back to the morgue, an autopsy was performed. And again, same cause of death, strangulation. Likely in the days before she was found, but it was, there was never an exact date like there was with Lisa Nicole's as to when she was murdered. Okay. It was discovered also during the autopsy that she was between 10 to 12 weeks pregnant. And she was also the female that was found to have semen on her body. So luckily with this one, we have DNA of whoever this man is. Which fortunately... Which back in the 80s didn't mean much. But most investigators and, and police officers had the forethought to 
I'm going to save this because this could they be did. useful at least, they did. you know, maybe years from now. They, a lot a lot of people do that. I will give most investigators credit to that, is that they usually kept every shred of evidence. Right. So, in 2018, years later, this woman was identified as Tina Marie McKinney Farmer. She was born on March the 7th, 1963. She was only 21 years old. So an autopsy was performed. The cause of death was found to be strangulation, just like Lisa Nicole's, likely days before she was found on the side of the interstate. But we were never able to have a direct or a pinpointed day exactly. of when she was, yeah, when she was murdered. They also found that she was between 10 to 12 weeks pregnant. During her autopsy. Oh, man. Yeah. As well as finding semen on her body, which I'm so glad that they did and that the detectives had the wherewithal to keep this. Yes. Because this yes. comes into major play later. Yeah, because in the 80s, that's not going to be much help. Right. But they had the forethought, we should keep this. Yeah. This is at least DNA. This could help us in the future. Right. So in 2018, she was identified also through fingerprints and was found to be Tina Marie McKinney Farmer. She was born on March the 7th, 1963, and she was only 21 years old when she was murdered. The fingerprints were found from a fingerprinting card that was from the 80s by TBI intelligence analyst Amy Emberton. In 2016, TBI special agent Brandon Elkins resubmitted the clothing that was found that had the semen on it as well as the blanket to the TBI crime lab for DNA testing of the semen. So this is where it comes into play. A DNA profile was entered into CODIS and it did end in a match with a man named Jerry Leon Johns. Johns was arrested just two months after Farmer was found. He was arrested for picking up, binding, and strangling a woman in Knox County, Tennessee. Well, that shocks me none. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a real winner. Yeah, not shocked at all. Yeah. When he took this woman, he believed that he had killed her. And he had discarded her body alongside of I-40. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> case closed. You like, think, I don't... You picking up what I'm putting down here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, thankfully, this woman survived, and she reported the incident to the police. Johns was eventually picked up, charged, and found guilty of aggravated kidnapping and assault in 1987. Unfortunately, he died in prison in 2015 before he could get charged with anything involving Tina Farmer's murder. They did get a grand jury together in Campbell County, and the grand jury concluded that if he were still alive, he would have been indicted on first-degree murder for Tina Farmer. We don't officially have anything through the courts that says he did it. Oh, he did it. But, oh, he did it. <laughs> in the words of Taylor, he did it. On March 31st, 1985, the skeletal remains of an unidentified woman were found along I-24 in Cheatham County, Tennessee. She was estimated to be between 20 to 30 years old. She had red hairs that were still attached to her skull. So she was mostly decomposed. They did link her to the murders because of the red hair and the fact that she was discarded alongside of a major interstate. She has never been identified. They believe that they could identify her one day. It would take probably a family member still being alive to have their DNA somewhere. Like 23, right. 23 and me or something like that. Right. To yeah. be able to link her through the DNA to a family member that's Familia alive. DNA. Yeah. Right. 
So on April the 1st, 1985, two men were looking for spare car parts uh, along the side of US 25E in Knox County, Kentucky. While they were looking for car parts, they found a discarded refrigerator on the side of the road. These men thinking nothing weird was happening, somebody's just thrown out a fridge. We live in Tennessee and in the South, we've probably all seen some sort of odd major appliance or something, a couch, mattress on the side of the road. You've never thought anything weird about it. Every day. Exactly. Every day, every day of my life. Every day. <laughs> so these men were thinking the same thing. They're like, we're just looking for car parts. Let's just open this up. It's, hey, it's a refrigerator. Maybe we could do something with this, you know? Mm -hmm. They open up the refrigerator. Inside, they found the discarded body of a female. No. Yes. In a refrigerator? In a refrigerator. The kicker is, and to me, I don't know why this just adds insult to injury for me. So not only was this woman murdered and discarded in a refrigerator on the side of the highway, the refrigerator had a decal on it that read Superwoman. I have no words. So some asshole murdered this woman, put her body inside of a refrigerator that had a decal that read Superwoman. Mm. Yeah. The body was found nude except for two necklaces. One necklace was a gold eagle that had its wings spread out. And one necklace was just a little heart pendant. She also had two different socks on. She was found to have, I believe it was reported that it was a white sock on one foot. And on the other foot, there was a sock that was yellow and white striped, I believe. The body also had some indicating marks that aided in the identification of this woman. She had a C-section scar on her lower abdomen. She has had a child, so she does have a child out there somewhere. As well as just a random abdominal scar. She had a birthmark on her ankle. So an autopsy was performed. Her cause of death was not strangulation, but asphyxiation. Okay. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. The body was buried before any identification was ever made. But in Knox County, Kentucky, over 500 people from this community attended and made donations for a headstone for this woman. Oh. Yes. This murder, the way that this woman was discarded and quite literally thrown in some old refrigerator on the side of the road like she was garbage rocked this community yeah. and they really came out for this they absolutely wanted justice for this woman they had put a huge church choir together that sang at her funeral like i said they made the donations and got her a headstone made even though they had no idea who this woman was they really came through for this woman most of the time i don't have much hope for humanity but stuff like that yes yeah absolutely restores it a little bit yes over 30 years later, a woman reached out to the Kentucky state troopers, believing that this Jane Doe was her mother. So this is the one who gets identified because her daughter was looking for her all of these years. DNA did confirm that after 33 years of being a Jane Doe, that this was her mother. Her mother's name was Epsi Regina Black Pilgrim. She was born on December the 25th, 1956. So she's born on Christmas Day. What a badass name. A rot? She does have an awesome name. She does. She really does. When she went missing, she was heard over CB radio asking for a ride to North Carolina from Corbin, Kentucky. Unfortunately for Epsi Black Pilgrim, the investigation is still open to this day. She's one of those that it's still open. And Kentucky State Police ask that if you have any information about her murder, 
about her whereabouts the in the days leading up to her murder that you call their police station at 606-573-3131. The last official victim that was linked to the Redhead murders was found on April the 3rd, 1985. The skeletonized partial remains of a girl were discovered 200 yards off of Big Wheel Gap Road. It is just four miles below Jellicoe, Tennessee in Campbell County. She was believed to have been dead between one and four years. She was estimated to be between nine and 15 years old. The cause of death was ruled undetermined, which never ruled out homicide. So it's in there that it could be a homicide. They can't even tell if she had been murdered? Not officially. Okay. So 32 of her bones, including her skull, were recovered at the scene. Her skull was complete enough for them to be able to make a facial reconstruction to see what she possibly would have looked like. She had on a necklace and a bracelet that were made of plastic buttons. So she probably had just like a little friendship bracelet that she had made because again, she was estimated to be between 9 and 15. So she still has little kid things on. So my question is, you said this is an official victim, mm-hmm. right? So if they can't determine a cause of death, you know, I mean, even the manner of death, how is she an official victim? They get into it. Okay. You meant it. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes. Or ahead of you, really. Yes. They also found a size five pair of boots and a few scraps of clothing. They were never sure also if these items belonged to her or not never officially linked to belong to her. But since they were at the scene, they did take these in for evidence. She was a lot younger than the other victims. But again, the victimology was just redheaded women, hitchhikers, sex workers, whoever this person or persons could pick up is who they were grabbing. Just a redheaded woman. They saw that walking down the side of the road or at a truck stop somewhere. Because like I said earlier, they do assume that it was a truck driver. They're grabbing her. There were other similarities between her case and a couple of the other cases. The two cases that they were able to link them to were Tina Farmer and the woman that survived Johns, which was Linda Shacks. So they were able to link these cases via the knots that were found tied in the cloth. Ah, yes. The They found a piece of material that was tied around her neck. So that was the knot that they examined. And investigators were like, hey, this is the same. So that's good. So there's, there was a rope around her neck. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> when they had found Linda Shacks two months later, that's when they linked her to Linda's case. So recent forensic analysis of the remains indicated that she was not native to the area where she was found and showed that she was likely born in Florida or Texas, somewhere where it was mountainous, but moist in the air. It's humid here, but they didn't believe that she was from here. I don't know how all of that works. That's why they get paid a lot more than I do. So it determined that she wasn't from where her body was found. Right. Okay. On August the 30th in 2022, so very recently, she was identified as 15-year-old Tracy Sue Walker of Lafayette, Indiana. So they were close with saying Midwest. The connection was made after Othram Laboratories located a possible family member in the Lafayette area and a TBI intelligence analyst located several of the relatives in that area and confirmed that 
they were the relative of Tracy that disappeared in 78. Tracy's mom had reported her missing as a runaway two times in Lafayette. And she was last seen in, I'm probably not going to say this right, but I'm going to give it a try. Tippecanoe Mall with her friend sometime in 1978. Her DNA was taken, submitted into CODIS, and that is how they were able to identify her with her family members. So now I'm going to get a little bit, I'm going to mention some of the suspected victims. So on April the 14th, 1985, the body of a young female was found partially decomposed alongside of I-81 in Greene County, Tennessee, near exit 44 by a teenager that was fishing. TBI special agents joined the investigation into the case via request from the sheriff's department. The autopsy results revealed that she had been beaten and stabbed and had died approximately three weeks prior to being found. Her official cause of death was a blow to her head. Her death was ruled a homicide. In 2006, a DNA profile was put into CODIS and identified her in 2018, 33 years later, as 17-year-old Elizabeth Lamont from New Hampshire. Okay, she was far from home. She was never reported missing until the year 2017. What? Yes. She was last seen in November of 1984 and was not reported missing by anyone, friends, family, no one, until 2017. You gonna explain that or? There is no explanation. I don't know if her family assumed that she was just a runaway. She had decided to up and leave her life. They didn't care. I don't know. I don't want to make that assumption because I don't know. And I could not find any sources that listed why she was not reported missing until 2017. I wonder if it was just like a family member that had heard about her or something. Possibly. And was like, you know... We don't have any explanations of what happened to her. Maybe someone should report her missing. Yeah. You know, even because though just it's been... one year, it had been 32 years at that point. Yeah. That she'd been gone. Yeah. So someone like just heard about her probably and was like, you know what? Let's file a missing person right. report. Like that's wild. It was wild to me when I read mm -hmm. that. And in all sources, there was no explanation as to why it took 32 years, but it did. And then a year later is when she was identified. Whoa. So that was pretty wild. Another one of the suspected victims was Priscilla Ann Blevins. She was born on March the 29th in 1948 and had died on July the 8th of 75. She was 27 years old and her skeletal remains were found along I-40 in Waynesville, North Carolina on March the 29th, 1985. There's Karen K. Nippers that on May the 25th in 1981, a law enforcement officer recovered her from a low water crossing on Highway MM near Dixon, Missouri. She had suffered some trauma to her face, they assume beatings, and she was found to have been strangled with pantyhose. Wetzel County Jane Doe, which was found on February the 13th of 1983. This was a naked female body found alongside Route 250 near Littleton in Wetzel County, West Virginia. The body was found by a pair of senior citizens who were just taking a stroll, and when they passed by her body, they initially assumed and thought... Don't tell me. That this was a mannequin. Okay. 
and all of us crime junkies know that listen to crime junkie crime junkie podcast they're awesome they are but in the words of ashley flowers and brit it is never never a a mannequin. mannequin never so that's what they thought yeah um, the body had been placed in the area recently as there was snow on the ground, but no snow found on the body. So she's not been there long. Right. Police found tire tracks and footprints nearby that were indicators as to how she was transported to the area that she was found in, but they were never able to link a shoe or a particular tire. So they couldn't tell if this was like a tire of a right. big truck. Unfortunately not. Okay. At least if they did, it was never reported. Their examination concluded that she had died about two days beforehand and she was not sexually assaulted. Her cause of death was listed as undetermined because of the decomposition of her body and the way that the weather had kind of torn down her body. Her hair was auburn and that's why in 1985 she was possibly linked to the redhead murders. DeSoto County Jane Doe was a woman that was found murdered on January the 24th in 1985 in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Per NamUs, 16 other women had been ruled out as this woman. So they were, they have been trying to find out who she is, but she's still never been identified. She was found by a truck driver that was driving on U.S. Highway 78 around 7.30 in the morning. She was strangled with a ligature and possibly sexually assaulted. She was estimated to be between 20 to 40 years old. Pulaski County Jane Doe, which was a woman that was found deceased on April the 20th, 1985 in Wrightsville, Arkansas. She was estimated to be between 30 and 40 years old and she had blondish red hair. So she was our strawberry blonde. Roan County Jane Doe, which was a female found on August the 29th in 1987 in Roan County, Tennessee. She was estimated to be between 35 and 50 years old. She had naturally brown hair, but it had been dyed a red color. She had some indicating marks to help identify her, but still has never been identified. She had had a hysterectomy. She had had a tracheotomy. She had a mole on the left side of her back, and she also had breast implants. She had also had an old gunshot wound to her back with the bullet still lodged in her spine. Oh my God. Yes, that tells me that this woman was shot and she likely never went and had any proper care, any proper health care to this because the bullet is still in there. And if you went to the hospital for a gunshot wound, when they do surgery, if the bullet's still in there, the whole point is to take it out. To a certain extent, Most of the yeah. time, they, they, if, if it's not in a place where if they remove it, it's going to cause damage, they take it out. Yeah. Because they don't want it further down the road the to cause... In the In the spine. Oh, man. Authorities determined that her body had been burned to deliberately hinder her from being identified. So if this, if she is a victim of the redhead murders, whoever this person or persons was, at some point seemed like they were escalating to me to have burned her body to prevent identification. Her cause of death was listed as undetermined, but it is assumed by detectives that she was murdered. Stacy Lynn Chahorsky. I'm so sorry if I'm not saying her name correctly. She was born in 1969. There is not an exact date of her birthday. We just have the year. And was assumed to have died on September the 16th, 1988. 
She had been found strangled to death in Rising Fawn, Georgia in late 1988. She was reported missing in January 1989, four months after she was last contacted. She had told her mother on the telephone that she was planning to hitchhike from North Carolina back to her home state of Michigan. The remains were discovered along the east side of I-59, approximately five miles from the Georgia and Alabama state line. It was determined that she had been sexually assaulted and her cause of death was strangulation. She had brownish strawberry blonde hair, so it was a dark strawberry blonde, I'm assuming. Okay. I would go more on the Auburn side, is what I would is what I would say. And it was shoulder length with frosted tips. In 2019, her age range was adjusted to 25 to 35 years old. Before this, she was thought to be as young as 16 and possibly just a runaway. She was identified with assistance from Othram Inc. in late March 2022. But on September the 6th in 2022, her murderer was identified as Henry Frederick Wise, a.k.a. his street name, Haas Wise who would have been 34 years old at the time of her murder. He was also a truck driver for Western Carolina Trucking Company. He drove through Chattanooga, Tennessee, to Birmingham, Alabama, and finally to Nashville, Tennessee. Wise was also a stunt driver. He had a criminal history in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, ranging from assault to theft to obstruction of a police officer. He, unfortunately, before he could get indicted on any official charges, he was burned to death in a car accident at the Myrtle Beach Speedway in South Carolina in 1999. But they were able to link him just a year ago to her case. It does not go into details, unfortunately, as to how they linked him to her case. I'm going to assume that there was some sort of DNA found, but it's not reported in any sources that I found. Okay. There's Donna Sue Nelton, who was formerly known as the Benton County Jane Doe. She was found murdered on May the 7th, 1990 in Rogers, Arkansas. She was located off of Highway 102 in Arkansas on May the 7th, 1990. Several of her bones were recovered alongside what appeared to be shotgun wadding. Buckshot pellets were found on the ground under her skull. A neighbor reported seeing a fire in the area in February of 1990, but never went to investigate. He believed that someone was burning trash, but detectives believe that the victim or her bones may have been run over with a vehicle to make identification more difficult. So again, if this is the same person, they're escalating to try to prevent identification with fire or running them over to try to crush bones or whatever they can to try to prevent identification. So they're just escalating. There were never enough bones found to be able to create a reconstruction. She was estimated to be between 25 and 35 years old. Later on October the 25th, 2022, again by Authorum Inc., she was identified as Donna Sue Nelton. She was last seen in the fall of 1989. Initially, federal authorities suspected that it was her boyfriend at the 
the time, who was George Alvin Bruton. George had spent time on the FBI's most wanted list for three months in 1979 after taking two families hostage and wounding two officers in Utah. In September 1989, he and an associate were seen disposing of trash bags containing Donna's personal items into a dumpster in North Kansas City. Her car was found in a storage unit that was owned by George, and he was sentenced to life in prison for drug-related offenses, and he later died in prison in 2008. So, there was one more suspect that was identified by Tennessee police. He was questioned and investigated for some of the murders that are involved in this case. He was questioned after kidnapping and raping a woman in Indiana, and he was a 32-year-old truck driver. In all sources where I was able to find where he was listed as a suspect, no one lists who this man was. No one has a name for him. We just know that he was questioned by Tennessee police. So really, there are only a couple of really good suspects to me. My number one was Jerry Johns. You know, he was linked via DNA to Tina Farmer, and he was, he would have been indicted if he would not have died in prison. So to me, and all the similarities between her case and some of the others, to me, it tells me this is just a personal opinion, but I feel like he was the best suspect for these cases, but he was never directly linked to any of the other murders in these cases. Detective Elkins of the TBI reported to AETV, quote, we're not going to stop. We're just going to keep on trying to use techniques and technologies of today to solve those duty cases. They have waited long enough for a resolution. Most of the other cases still remain open. Like I said, a couple of the suspected victims have been closed or they have found who they really think was the murderer in a couple of the cases. But the rest of them are still open for investigation today. So the TBI does ask that if anyone has any information about any of the cases that happened in Tennessee, that you please contact the TBI at 1-800-824-3463 or email tbi.coldcase at tn.gov. So one more little fun tidbit that I thought was pretty neat with looking up sources and information on this case was something that happened in Elizabethan, Tennessee. So Elizabethan high schoolers actually had findings in the Redhead murder investigation. Part of the reason that those knots that were found were linked to other cases like Tina Farmer's was because of these Elizabethan high schoolers that investigated this case. That is so amazing. It's wild. And the fact that it's Elizabethan, like, that's... Yes. That's, like, 20 minutes up the road from where we live. I mean, these teenagers helped give us major clues. Yeah. In a long, ongoing string of cold cases. Yeah, that's... I mean, how, uh, how smart can I'm you be envious, as a teenager? <laughs> and I am like, I mean, I'm like, that is just so amazing. It was, it is pretty wild. So it was two Elizabethan high school students and their teachers that kind of went into this and they were investigating and they were being crime junkies and it was just super cool. There were being little, yes. little arm, armchair detectives. Yes. They first started their investigation in 2018 under the guidance of teacher Alex Campbell. And after months of research and investigating their hearts out, 
and talking to experts, Junior's Riley Whitson and Marley Mathena developed a profile of the killer connected to the deaths of these women. And they I don't just, even know these kids, and I'm like so proud. Yes, they are <laughs> awesome. Yes. I just wanted to throw that in there because that was pretty neat. They definitely deserve props for that. They absolutely do. So they made a whole profile like the FBI. They did. Shout out to those two teenagers. They are freaking awesome. Yeah. Did they, did it say like what kind of profile they came up um, with? I think it may go into it a little bit. When they made their profile, they were able to conclude that it probably was a truck driver and it may, they actually had a suspect that they thought was a man who had his own truck driving company. So he was driving with no supervision and they linked the things together, like with the knots. They had a knot expert look at these photographs and was able to positively say, hey, these are the same. These were tied by, these are the same knot. These were probably tied by the same person. I mean, they really go headfirst into this case. And it was just really awesome to read that these cold cases are not going unnoticed. And even young teenagers have an interest in this. Our future, the future of the world, young kids are looking into these things. And they also want them solved. Mm -hmm. So it was just pretty neat to see these two really dive headfirst into this and find some pretty damning stuff. Yeah. As teenagers, I wouldn't have been, I was not smart enough as a teenager to put that together. So that's, absolute props to them for doing so cool. that. It was pretty neat. So that concludes our case of the Redhead Murders. Again, it was a little, it was a little difficult to research because there is not a lot of just cold hard facts out there about this because it was a very underreported string of serial murders because of who these women were. And at the time that these women were murdered, because they were sex workers, hitchhikers, runaways, and even just the fact that they were women was just not as important to the world at the time because that was just the world that they were living in. And I would just like to throw in here that I know that I gave the direct numbers for a couple of states, state investigators agencies, but if you have any information in any of the other cases that were not in either of the two states that I listed, please look up the information to contact those state agencies. If you if you know anything, if you have a family member that's ever mentioned anything, just look up how to contact your state agency and let them know because any little thing helps. I know that people our age are probably not going to know anything about it, but like I said, if your mom or dad or your grandpa or grandma, aunt, uncle has ever said anything, if you're listening and you hear, Oh, that sounds like something that Gam Gam mentioned once. Gam Gam? Yes. Gam Gam. You're Gam Gam. Okay. Please just try to find out how to contact your state agency and just let them know because it would be awesome to see. Let's I would love to solved. see all of them solved, yeah. but at least some of them get solved and get justice for these women because they deserve it. I think the problem with back then when you would have murders that range through different states agencies like police departments and and agencies didn't communicate like they do now right you know you have one murder one disappearance in one state or even like county to county they just don't communicate they just didn't communicate like they do now right and so that makes it really hard to connect things right. sometimes um and also in the 70s and 80s hitchhiking was so prominent yes a lot of people did that I mean, it was just like another thing. It it was so common and they just didn't think about it then. Now, obviously, like... That's not a thing. No, you that don't do not that. not a thing that people do <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. But back then, yeah, like, that's... 
just they it didn't. was just normal thing just a thing people did you wanted to get somewhere so. you stood on the side of the road you stood at a rest stop and you yeah. waited and asked for a ride somewhere yeah so yeah that's just that's sad which unfortunately was as innocent of an action as that was it just set so many people up mm-hmm. to get taken or assaulted or yeah. murdered taken advantage of oh yeah yeah we just want to thank you all for listening we're sorry this episode is late yes we both were very sick this past weekend through the beginning of this week i had covid and i had strep the worst bout of strep i have ever had ever had i mean i was sicker than katie she was she was had covid so she was sicker than me i could hardly get out of bed for two days and my voice still is not where i would like it to be to be recording this but we did i will say that we did record uh, the beginning portion of this episode previous to getting sick we recorded part of it one day before kayla had gone to work and then we had to stop because she had to get ready for work and then we got sick just a couple of days later so this is the follow-up so if we sound a little stuffy in one half and not the beginning half. That would be why. So yes. I just wanted to throw in a little explanation there just to let you know. Yeah, because you, you're probably sitting there like, well, they sound different. <laughs> this started out with two women doing a podcast and now it sounds like two teenage boys doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so apologies yeah. for the break in the case in well in the episode where we sound normal and then we don't Mm -hmm. so (laughs) we're gonna try to get episodes out every tuesday yeah it's gonna flip-flop so this tuesday was my tuesday next tuesday this coming up tuesday will be kayla's we will be back on regular schedule everything permitting yes it will be coming out this coming tuesday will be kayla's episode which she's going to take us out of tennessee yes and do a really big case that we have both followed for years yes almost religiously especially kayla has followed this case she has her google alerts on <laughs> for this one yeah. for this case I'm so ex- she I'm really yeah i'm very excited to hear to hear her tell me about the case even though you know everything about <laughs> even it even though i know it <laughs> all <laughs> right to tell guys. you guys about it yes so. we'll uh see you next tuesday next tuesday thanks thanks real <laughs> All the sources we used for this episode will be linked in our show notes. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing and our friend Avalyn Uliberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is m three podcast and you can find us on facebook under the name of our podcast which is murder mayhem and merlot (laughs) 